Proactive Athletes is the premier place that empowers student athletes to overcome the challenges of college sports recruitment. Their unparalleled expertise and influential network will guide you towards realizing your fullest potential. At Proactive Athletes, they understand that each student athlete is unique, facing their own set of obstacles. That's why their dedicated team takes the time to comprehend your individual needs, providing a comprehensive hands-on approach tailored to your success. With their personalized attention and unwavering support, they ensure your satisfaction every step of the way. Through their vast network, they have successfully connected with over 2.3 million coaches, giving your child's profile the exposure it deserves. In fact, their student-athletes' profiles have been viewed by an astounding 716,000 coaches, solidifying their reputation as the go-to platform for recruitment. What sets them apart is their data-driven approach, allowing them to make informed decisions that result in better outcomes for their student-athletes. By harnessing the power of data, they maximize your child's chances of success as they embark on the next chapter of their athletic journey. Join the ranks of proactive athletes and unlock your true potential. Let them amplify your talent, connect you with coaches that want you but may not have known about you, and pave the way for your future success. Together, they will defy the odds and ensure that your dreams become a reality. Don't wait any longer. Get proactive in your child's recruitment process today by visiting proactiveathletes.com. And make sure you use Shark Effect 10 for 10% off. And I wanted, like you said, to control the narrative because for years it was like all these good things were written and said about me. And I would be in the streets of Portland and people, you know, thank you this and that. And I appreciated it. I greatly appreciated it. Walking with my mom downtown one time and that happened. I said, thank you. And then as they walked off and we walked off, I was kind of like, she goes, how come, how come you just sighed? And I go, because these people really don't know me. And she goes, I'm sure they know you, Brian. I go, mom, they know a part of me. It's intercepted. Picked up by Alex Molden. Welcome to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm a former NFL veteran, and now I'm a leadership and personal development speaker and coach. In this podcast, you will hear inspirational and humorous stories from leaders of all walks of life, from current and former professional athletes, coaches, authors, experts, executives, and successful business owners. Discover how these leaders not only overcame obstacles, but also learned core principles that led to their success when leading others. So my guest this week on The Shark Effect is my good friend, Brian Grant. Now, Brian was an NBA player, played for 12 years, and he's known for his tenacious rebounding and a fearless attitude on the court. And during his career, he played for five teams and became a strong contributor in his surrounding communities. Today, Brian continues to inspire as a speaker, philanthropist, and a patient who insists on thriving with Parkinson's disease. His mission is to help people become their best, even when it seems impossible. I can't wait for you guys to hear our conversation. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty deep. And, you know, we go through both of our failures, you know, during our, during our lives, during our careers, and the, and the struggle that, that often happens when you're trying to become the best version of yourself. So can't wait for you guys to have a listen. Here we go. 
All right, cool. Brian, man, hey, welcome to the Shark Effect. I, I greatly appreciate you coming on, man, and, and kind of sharing your journey with, with myself and my listeners. Um, I know we had a chance to, to talk um, maybe like, what was that, last year, maybe two years ago? Two, I think it's a couple years, yeah. A couple years ago, and, and you came out to Nike to, to talk with, with myself and, and, you know, some other folks and, you know, just such an inspiring story about, you know, not just your basketball background, but what you did afterwards and what you're doing now, man. So, man, thanks for being a guest on the on the Shark Effect. Happy to be on. Happy to be on. Oh, man. So, um, and, you know, and so you have a new book and I want to talk about that uh, in just a little bit, but uh, I'm excited to get my hands on it. And I, I know it just dropped. Was it just a couple of it, weeks ago? Yeah, April 6th. Okay, April 6th. Yeah. So, um, but I want you to kind of, uh, you know, I want to start this conversation off with, like, with your background, you know, where you're from, and, and how did you get started playing basketball? Well, uh, I'm from a small town called Georgetown, Ohio. And when I was growing up, there were probably about 17, 1800 people there. So I'm talking a real small town. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> As far as my basketball career, it probably really didn't get started until like eighth grade when I couldn't play football any longer. You know, I used to play Pop Warner football in a neighboring town, but since we didn't have a program at Georgetown, when that was over, I was left with three extra inches of height over my cousins who all played ball. So I wasn't very good at all. And it wasn't until my freshman year, I went out for a team, made it, but didn't get to play much. And then I left for summer break in the ninth grade at five, 10 and a half, and then came back and was almost six, four. And literally my cl classmates thought I was a new student, you know? Uh, wow. <laughs> just, you know, was in a lot of pain, Osgood Schlatter's or, you know, those little bumps under your knees from growing too fast. I went through that. So I never got a chance to play varsity ball until my senior year, actually. So I only played one year of varsity and almost messed that up getting in a fight. And luckily I was able to get through it and had a great season with our team. And, you know, we're, we're division four, you know, that's the lowest division. And I think uh -huh. I was maybe third team all rebounding. And so no, no colleges were really taking chances, but uh, we had a guy in our town who called, kept calling Xavier. And they finally sent somebody out to watch his practice just to get the guy off their back so they wouldn't be calling no more. After Dino Gaudio came out and saw me practice, he took my coach, they were gone for like 20 minutes. Coach came back and said, where do you want to go to school? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, they just, Dino just told me not to tell any other schools about you. But if you don't want to go to Xavier, what, you know, what school do you want to go to? And I was like, I thought he was just blowing smoke. I didn't yeah. think it was possible, you know, because a year prior to that, I was out, you know, drinking and partying during school, school nights because I was off the team. I got kicked off the team my junior year. And now there might be a possibility of me going to college. So let me know if I'm giving too much, you know. I'm just no, no, you're good. You're okay. good. Cool. So I, I'm the last, I'm the fifth person to get the, the last scholarship at Xavier. We had four guys in front of me that were all American and Mr. Basketball, Dapper Dan. And then here I am 
you know, third team division four rebounding. So there wasn't really a whole lot of respect given to me uh, when I went down there in the summer and the top recruit, you know, he had a, he liked to talk a lot, man. He liked okay. to talk. And there was this one incident in the cafeteria when Xavier was having their uh, ball camps that we worked where a kid came up and asked him for his autograph. He signed it. And then he goes, who are you? Should I get your autograph? And he goes, no, that's Brian. He's going to play when I go to the NBA in my junior year. And I just looked at this cat like, okay. Okay. And you know, it was just like, Hmm. Just okay. came, it came over me. And that night was the first night that we played against each other or I played against any of those cats. And I just made it a point to try to, Embarrass, I could say, just okay. dunking on him, rebounding, dunking on him. Get you know, get, he got mad, wanted to fight. I was ready for that too. Um, Hold on, so you was a freshman? I wasn't even a freshman yet. Are you weren't even a freshman. Yeah, okay. yeah. Like it's like we all had to come to summer school prior to our freshman year. Oh, so, got it. So we were there for three weeks. It's kind of to kind of get a jump start on school, and so after that, it was like. I never looked back. I just always, I wasn't focused on getting a starting job. I wasn't focused on doing this. I was focused on him, mm-hmm. you know, and he was the top dog. And I ended up starting, I ended up starting four years at Xavier, you know, last one to get a scholarship, first one to start. And when that was over, I thought I was done, Alex. I mean, I thought that was it. I, I was happy to be putting in my resumes at General Electric and okay. Procter and Gamble, you know, Jim Beam. I, shoot, we had good alumnus there, and I was going to get a good job. Let's go. And so Pete Yellen calls me into his office and says, there's three agents that want to meet with you. And I said, what do they want me about? <laughs> He's like, <laughs> they, think, they think you might have the opportunity to go pro, you know, whether it's second round or overseas. And so the first two agents basically told me that, like, look, we're not going to send you to any of the camps. And you'll get, you know, we think we can get you in at the end of the second round or overseas, which would have been great to me. I'd have been making some money. Yeah. Um, because there's only two rounds in the NBA, correct? Yeah. Only so, two yeah. rounds. Not, not seven like it no. is in the NFL. Okay. No, uh, it's only two. And so the third person came in and he wanted to know what everybody was telling me. And I said, look, they, they're telling me not to go to these camps. And he looked at me and said, you don't go to these camps. It'd be the biggest mistake of your life because I think you could be the surprise of the draft. And I'm, now I'm really like, come on, man, you know? Yeah. And he said, I trust me. And so I, I trusted him, ended up going out to the desert classic, you know, that morning we had our skills, the big men's skills where we come in and we all do a jump hook or, you know, some, I went across the lane. I was so nervous. I threw the ball up and it damn near hit the top of the backboard and flew off. And everybody started laughing a little bit. And I was kind of like this. I'm looking for the door. You okay. know, and somebody grabbed me and said, yo, just get back in line. And so after it was over, I called the agent. I'm upset. Like, I can't believe you made me come out here. And he goes, are you finished? I go, yeah. And he goes, they don't give a damn if you can shoot a jump hook. Say, go out there and show them what you can do on the court during the game. And, you know, I ended up going out there and having a pretty good game. I, I was able to have a good game because I went and talked to my guards and I told them, look, man, I'm getting that rebound. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to be cast down the court. 
we give it back and they are like, yeah, if, you, if I get the assist, I give it to you every time. And that's basically what it was just outrunning cats. Cause you know, I was this six, eight and a half cat that didn't look like he would be fast, but I was fast. You know, I, I, that's one thing I could do is run. Yeah. And so, uh, Long story short, I end up doing a lot of different visits. Uh, I like to tell the one visit, this one visit, uh, I went to Sacramento, worked out really hard, and they took me, they knew I was going to see the Lakers after them. Okay. So they took me to Morton's and bought me this big 48-ounce steak and said, we bet you can't, you can't finish this steak. So I'm like, I'm going to finish the steak, man. <laughs> you know, I ate all 48 ounces of that steak. They put me on a plane. I got to my hotel at about 11. At 6 a.m., uh, Michael Cooper was knocking on my door, like, let's go. And I go, Ooh. <laughs> I said, uh, hey, man, can I use the restroom? He goes, no, man, you better get, get on out here. And I'm like putting all my stuff. I get over to Loyola Marymount, and there's this big kid over there, you know, somebody I should have been able to just handle. He gave me everything I could take, man. It, it lasted for about 10, 15 minutes, and Jerry West finally stopped and said, what the hell is your problem? You don't want to be here? And I go, I don't know what's going on. And so he said, take him over to the forum. I get to the forum. It's Magic, Cooper, I think Cupcheck, and West. And I'm sitting in this chair, just got my fist clenched, looking down like this. And they're going in on me like, who the hell do you think you are? This, don't you see them banners out there? You're going to come and give an effort like why the hell would you do that? And I go, I don't want to make any excuses. I don't have any excuses. And Jerry was like, uh, all right, well, I'm going to get to the bottom of this this stuff. Calls up Sacramento. like, what you guys think about Brian Grant? Really? Really? No, he just he just blew his uh, chance down here. If I got anything to do with it, he won't be in this league. I can't remember he said it to him, but he definitely said it. I don't know if it was to me or to uh, Jeff Petrie, who he was talking to, but after that, I left, and uh, I always had a thing for the Lakers. You know, my my rookie season. If I dumped on somebody or I did something, snatched a rebound, I'd always look at Jerry West and go, "Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, he he probably couldn't hear the words, and I'm glad he didn't. But uh, yeah, it was it was one of them things where you know, Sacramento had the eighth pick anyway. But I, I later talked to Jerry like a couple years later or it might have been the end of the season or a year later. And he told me, whoa, wait a minute. I just thought coming in peace. You turned out to be a fine player. I was wrong. And then he goes, why didn't you tell me about that steak? <laughs> and I'm thinking like I said, I, I don't know. But in a, in a way, I was thinking, would it have mattered? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So. That's that's how basketball went, man. And then I was in SAC, came to Portland, uh, left Portland after 2000, went to Miami, was there for four years. Got, I was in that deal for Shaq, myself, Lamar Odom, and Karan Butler. Mm. And then I ended up in L.A. one year, which I got a chance to. It was a crazy, messed up year. We, I mean, I think it was the worst season they had in a long time. And But I got a chance to get to know Kobe a little bit. And that was the silver lining to it. Mm. And then I finished up in Phoenix. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Something else, man. To hear your story, especially like coming from a small, a small town 
And, you know, everybody wants to or, or believes that you got to come from a big city to be able to play at a high caliber of ball or that you have to, you know, be, start playing your sport in the fourth or fifth grade. And hearing your story and in my story, like I didn't start until eighth grade and I was I came from a little bitty Colorado Springs, which is, you know, it sounds pretty big compared to where you was coming from. But it's just it's amazing how, you know, if you're if you're, I guess, passionate about it, about whatever, it doesn't have to be a sport. But if you got passion and if you got people that can give you second chances or that can believe in you, because absolutely. Here, Hearing what you went through, you get kicked out, kicked off of the team your junior year, right? Going through, you know, battling Oscar Slaughters and then playing and then getting kicked off your junior year. But then I don't know if it was the same coach. Did he give you a second chance or was it a new regime? No, no it was a new coach that came out. The old coach, we had just got, we, we had the varsity coach was always there, but then he brought, uh, a younger guy in that was 21 from deep down in Kentucky with a really strong country ass accent. Okay. And um, I mean, I had one too, but his was like that, that y'all. Okay. And so, <laughs> and so we were having practice and, you know, my cousin was lagging. People started laughing and I was like, man, don't laugh at my cousin. What's your problem? And, you know, coach comes up to me, starts chest bumping. And, Who do you think you are? Boy talking all this and that. that. Nothing racial. It was just more or less. He's twenty one. He's a new coach, and I guess he thought he could do that, and it was going to be cool. And so we just walked off the the field, and the next day, you know, we thought about it. Like, man, I I don't want to not play basketball. So the coaches left it up to the players, and if they all agreed, they let us back on the team. Of course, it was like one dude that didn't agree. And we didn't get back on the team. And that's when I was out hanging out the whole year. I almost failed out my junior year. I, I was this close to failing and having to repeat my junior year. Oh, but, wow. Yes, but things happened. And thing that turned me around with my books and with everything else was an incident, with I, which I think I shared at the uh, last one that you had me at. Mm -hmm. uh, we're driving and this University of Cincinnati commercial comes on the radio. And when it goes off, I go, Man, I'm going to college. Boom! I hit the windshield and flew back. And my mom said, "Are you okay? You okay?" I go, "Yeah, man." She goes, "What'd you say?" And I go, "Yeah, man." She goes, "No, what'd you say before that?" And I said, "I'm going to college." She goes, "You ain't going to college. You ain't gonna be shit. You ain't gonna be just like your dad and not do anything." And I was just like, oh. "Yeah, I'm gonna prove to you that I could graduate." <laughs> you know. It, College, I wasn't thinking of college, but, you know, mom had drawn a line, enough's enough. This is what I see you becoming. and Because you know, of your mother, actions. Yeah, because of my actions. But for me, just to have her say anything negative like that, because she, she never would have and then did it, I knew that I had messed up. And, you know, I had one year to turn it around because I, I ended up passing going to into my senior year. Then we ended up getting it new coach who basically told my cousin like a lot of people have told me that I, we shouldn't take a chance on you but I don't care what they say you you start from right here we start our relationship but that's what I judge you on I and love that yeah so I it, love that man you're, I mean you're right 
Colorado Springs. And I is going to Colorado. My youngest girl. Oh, okay. Yes, he starts there next year. Oh, beautiful. Uh, hold on, is that right? Is Colorado in Colorado Springs? Yeah, well, uh, uh, Colorado University. Yeah. See you. They're actually they're in Boulder. Okay, I'm yeah, sorry, I got the two men. I mean, we had a we had a, a preseason game in uh, Colorado Springs. Oh, probably at the Olympic Center. Yeah, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. That is so. You, you know what? A lot of people, you know, when I hear you talk about that story about your coach, is they go off of, you know, especially they're coming into a new environment. They go off of what others say about you. Yeah. And instead of like just starting from scratch and then seeing the type of person that you are and seeing if you are, if you say, if you are who you say you are, or if you're somebody different. And I think, yeah. you know, coming into a place where, you know, no matter what you've done in the past, good, good or bad or whatever is people giving um, people um, a, a fair chance. Because they can, maybe they can, they just need that new environment to to show something of themselves and, and where they want to go. You know, because I believe in change. Like we can all change. And sometimes that change is good. And sometimes in different environments is bad. Yeah. I mean, I, there were definitely people that gave me a chance because he gave me the chance two weeks into school, walking down the hall, dude knocks my books out of my arm and then use calls me the n-word and so i'm like picking my books up and i was going to leave i was not going to do anything about it and my cousin was right there and said you gonna let him knock your books out of your hand and call you an n yeah. and so i was like damn because now, now he seen it so that means all my other cousins is going to know and then my grandparents and them going to know and i didn't want to deal with that so I went over and said, excuse you. And he said, what? I said, excuse you like that. And yeah. I turned and my cousin said, watch out. He threw his books, rushed me. I tried to avoid him two or three times. And finally, I just had to stop him like, whap. Yeah. And he had these, you know, the metal rim glasses. Yeah. He had those on. They broke and cut both his eyelids like right there. In hindsight, he could have lost his vision, you know. And then yeah. I'd had to live with that the rest of my life. But thank God he didn't. And, you know, coach is like, I thought we had everything under control. You, I mean, you can't fight every time somebody calls you a name or something. I was like, well, you're right. I tried to avoid him. He kept coming at me. And, I, you know, my mom didn't raise me to get my butt whooped. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I ended up getting suspended for five days. And that's five zeros. And this is another story I tell. And I'm grateful to tell it. Um Mr. Mart was our American history teacher and he taught my dad when my dad was in school. Oh, so wow. he's, he's really old school. And so I'm doing extra credit work, all this stuff. And it came down to passing his class and I could only miss one on his test. I've been cramming so much that things were starting to overlap and I was forgetting, forgetting things. And at the end of that test, I knew that I had not passed it, you know, with only missing one. Mm-hmm. And the next day, class lets out and he tells me to sit down and then after everybody leaves he brings me up I can see where he had checked off like four in pencil and so I'm I'm starting to tear I'm like that's it journey over done I'm working at Mac tools (laughs) you know with my mom 
And uh, he kind of went in on me about the whole incident, what had happened in the hallway. And then he looked at the test and said, what is this? And I said, I did my best. And he goes, he reads off the question. I, I had chosen D, but then I said, no, it's C. And he goes, well, why didn't you put that? And he let me go down. And so long as I had the right answer, well, let me correct him. And he looked me in my face and he says, son, sometimes people give him second chances. I sure hope you do something with yours. Wow. Hey, I'm not even here talking to you right now. I don't even have these kids that I have right now if it wasn't for that man. And I, I, I've always tried to wonder what it was that, you know, cause I had seen him after I left school, I, I would stop in and say hello, but I didn't want to ask him, why did you do it? You know, but yeah. I think he just knew that, you know, during that, that era, the eighties and probably late seventies that, you know, black people had it kind of rough in that town, you know, cause this is, we're not talking Northern Ohio, we're talking Southern Ohio, right across the bridge from Kentucky. So, it's more south than it is north. Okay. And I I just think he saw that and said, all right, I'm gonna see if this kid knows his work. Okay, he knows his work. You get out of here. Here's your second chance. Brother, I didn't look back. Every chance I had, it was like I tried to rip the rim down. Our games went from the previous year, you know, half the bleachers being full to the gyms completely packed. The hallways are completely packed, and it's it was just it was like Hoosiers. It was just like it when we left and we caravan to another town. We had thirty cars deep following us. <laughs> it, it, it was good times, man. Man, that's so, the, yeah, that's the, man. So, man, tell me, you know, because I've you know watching you playing playing ball when you was in the NBA, and you was always considered like that blue collar. Like, it, it sounds like, man, you've always had that in you, you know, doing the, the dirty, the not so glamorous work and really like having that, you know, that do anything at all, at all costs and, and, and being okay with that. Did that come from like from, from high school and, and how you grew up or did you start to kind of develop that as you start to, you know, play in college? And then in the pros, like, man, hold on. I can be different if I do this. I can stand out. I can, I can take my game to another level, you know, because we got enough scores. Maybe if I just do these things, I can start to elevate in this, in this game. Like, how did, you, how did you have that mentality? Well, I got the mentality, the, the working mentality from, like, my, my papa and all my uncles and cousins because we used to in the summertime we used to cut tobacco and you know cutting tobacco was tough you know going down a quarter mile row I'm terrified of snakes so I jump like three snakes a day <laughs> you know it's like up oh, snake I'm done jump what you mean jump you kill them or or no like you just going and you hit you know you cut a stalk of tobacco lift it and a snake's coiled up right there and it's like oh I'm oh. out of here okay you know? <laughs> so I, I learned how to work for mine, uh, you know, cutting tobacco, bailing hay. My grandfather used to take me to dig potatoes. We'd be out there all day digging potatoes too. So I think that's where the, the work ethic came from. But when I got to college and everything, I realized that 
I may not be the best player out here as far as skills go. You know, somebody can always be more skillful than me. But the one thing, and you can you can attest to this, the one thing that I can control is my effort. I can control that, and can't nobody take that from me. So maybe I can't do this that well, but I can run, and I can make this cat have to chase me all day. I can rebound, and I can hustle. I can do the hustle plays. So I I focused on those things, and you know, and it wasn't until later that you know a coach believed, oh, you got a little bit of a jump shot. Maybe you should start working more on your jump shot, things like that. But I focus on the things I can control. I can control my effort. And I think with a lot of kids, you know, I try to t- tell my kids as they were coming up in sports is you can control your effort. You can't control whether this coach is going to play you. You can't control, you know, anything else other than your effort. You can control getting better, working out, but that effort, you can do that all the time. All the time. All the time. I love it. I love that. So tell me a little bit, like, when you were playing, like who were some of your best teammates and, and why? Uh, my, my high school, my, my uh, senior year, my cousin, Jermaine, he, you know, he was the point guard. We have been playing ball since, you know, since they let me get into games my eighth grade year. Uh, so we already kind of had it. Like he, he was going to get that ball to me. Or we was gonna have words. <laughs> it was like, "Give me the ball, guys! I'm getting it to you. Damn, let me let me shoot one." Okay. So yeah, like in high school it was Jermaine, and in uh, college I got along with everybody really well. But Tyrese Walker was uh, Mr. Basketball, and we went to Xavier on our uh, visit together, and we committed together. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed playing with him. And then in the league, shoot, I got a chance to see player play under Mitch Richmond, you know, Walt Williams, Dwayne Coswell, Spud Webb, um, you know, those guys. And then when I got to Portland, it was just like, wow, you know, I'm next to Rashid Wallace, who I was just last year battling it. Like we were going to war battling. Mm -hmm. Now I'm next, I'm with him. I'm with Arbita Sabonis. I'm with J.R. Ryder, you know, these, all these cats were just, you know, great players man and it it was almost like we had we had too much talent man we had and then it got even deeper the next two years we brought in damon you know scotty ends up coming in steve smith deadlift comes down from seattle that's right so it 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 was a learning experience because i i i think i looked at myself as a universal person like i i can hang with anybody Mm -hmm. you know and so I got to know everybody, man, and it it was it was really interesting to see different players how they approach the game. Like Scotty was, you knew he was kind of like, yeah, 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 he he was like royalty because he was on that Bulls team, and I don't care who you are, you had to respect that and and like the fact that he won six championships. Um, you know, Steve Smith, I remember him in college; he had to quit and then take you to the hole. Yeah. Um, that was just time when Jimmy Jackson was on the team, Gary Grant, you know, Jermaine O'Neal, and he wasn't even playing, man. Bonzi Wells. It was just depth after depth, man. But I like playing with him. And then 
when I got the person I really enjoyed playing with was Steve Nash. Even though I wasn't playing that much, I got to watch him. He he he's a true professional because he's not out there trying to get his numbers. He's trying to get a win. And he, you know, he'll have zero points, 13 assists, and we get the win. He's happy. He ain't worried about no shots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then of course the late Kobe Bryant, even though we had a bad year, I, I kind of got a chance to get to know him a little bit. Mm-hmm. and uh, great guy, man. And I understood why he was so great because he puts the work in. Everybody thinks that these great players like Jordan, everybody, they just step on the court and they're great. No. I mean, Kobe was the first one to practice, the last one to leave. He was very, I don't care if we was playing three on three or whatever, he was competitive at it all. It was no let up in his comp- competitive nature. And if you're not used to that, I mean, you can you can take things the wrong way and fall off. Like just like you know, with Jordan was the same way. You know, mm-hmm. you talk to guys, they say, "Yeah, I enjoyed winning," but man, he used to say and do things that just made me want to, you know, talking about Jordan. But I'm like, do them, man. You got you got six championships, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so yeah, I got to play with Kobe, and that was that was I, I was grateful for that mm-hmm. season. And who was like one of your toughest competitors at the at the um, at the pro level? At the pro level, I mean, there were several. You like, damn, I got my okay. I got to go get this dude. I don't, you know, I'm thinking yeah. like a like a Dennis Rodman or somebody, but but it could be somebody different. But I was just like, who was that toughest? Like for me, my toughest competitor. Like every time I saw him, I was like, oh, man, here we go. Shit, I got to pack a, a big lunch. You know, and that was uh uh, T.O. Terrell, oh, yeah. oh, he was, you know, he was one of my toughest competitors, but I wanted to see what, who your toughest competitor was and why. My, I got to say the toughest competitor for me was Carl Malone because Carl mm. is 6'8", six, 6'9", six, strong as an ox and faster than a deer. I mean, the cat, the first couple times I played against him, I was like boxing out and I turned, he was already past half court and I just had him on my hip. And so you combine all that, plus he had a jumper, you know, post moves, wasn't scared to get hit, wasn't scared to hit either. Mm-hmm. You know, he he was he was the toughest, but you know, there's other guys like Kevin Garnett, he was a he he was a beast too to handle. Um if I just look at just all out effort players. Of course, Dennis Rodman, um, Jason Williams, my first couple of years in the league, he was out in uh, New Jersey. That was a rebounding fool, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he would go in there and get boards. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. those are the ones. Okay. Oh, hold on. I'm sorry. Yeah. Charles Barkley, my first three years in the league, was nothing to mess with. You he was dead. against Charles Barkley. I played against Sir Charles. Sir that's Charles when, That's when he was giving you 30, 30 and 20. I mean, he, he hit threes on you, take you inside. I mean, I always, almost always fouled out every time I had to guard him. Because <laughs> right? he was so crafty. You know, he was so crafty. I know people see Charles now commentating, and I think sometimes they forget how much of an ass kicker he was, man. Yeah, man, he was yeah. a beast. He was a beast. He was, especially when he was with Philly, he oh, was yeah. a beast, but then he went to, to Phoenix and then he, you know, he, I think he was MVP one of those years, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah. 
at, he was, he was staring at, at how tall is he? He's six five. No, I think he's no, nah, he's like six six, six seven. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, about six, 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 seven. Okay, okay. Uh, that's something. Um you need to give up golf though. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need to go and let that one go. Yeah. Man, so tell me a little bit about your book, man. I'm, you know, I'm excited to get my hands on it. Um, you know, I know that it kind of talks about your journey through, you know, what you've gone through with having Parkinson's and whatnot. And I want to talk about oh. your um, uh, your foundation as well. But yeah, tell us a little bit about your book. Yeah, well, you know, actually, we just talked about a lot of the book. Okay. <laughs> yeah, all that's in the book. You know, for people who want to go out there and read it in more detail, it's all in the book. But, uh, you know, no one can tell somebody when it's time to to do a project like this. It's, it's got to come at the time that you feel it's, it, it, that it's time for, really. Um, I knew that I always was going to write something just because I look back at my journey and I think there's just so many things that was happening, you know, things that were in my control and then things, a ton of things that were out of my control. It's like, I can remember playing against guys that were way better than me and I couldn't understand why they didn't make it. You know, it was it were they not humble? Was it that they were too good or who knows? So this journey has had a lot of luck too, if you believe in luck, but I just, feel like God's always had his hand on it. And so long as he pushed me in that direction and I kept going that direction, things just kept opening up, doors just kept opening up. So I got to the point where I was ready to finally put it all down on paper. But, you know, I share this with you and I share it with the world when you read the book. If I'm gonna tell the story about Brian Grant, I'm not gonna tell the things that you just know about. I'm not gonna make this a fluffy, great piece. It's gotta be the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. And that's really one of the reasons why it took me so long because I was waiting to get to the point in my life where after I tell my story, people can judge, people can say what they want to say, and I'm okay with it. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I, you get to to own the, you know, the the narrative. Exactly. And it, I mean, there's something with, with showing, you know, vulnerability. And it's something that it took me a while to learn how to do that, to, to show that, that vulnerability, especially, man, for, for us pro athletes, where we're put on a pedestal because we're playing a sport and we get a lot of money and then the fame, you know, all that other stuff comes with it. But when we show vulnerability, we get to be on the same um, on the same level, but we get to show parts of us that makes us all relatable. All of us has failed, but not everybody wants the world to be able to see that. We failed. I've failed many a times on the field and off the field. And I've learned over the years, especially man with with speaking and being able to, you know, to have this platform that I can make myself more relatable when I can share those those points of um you know where it's ugly yeah you know, when it's when it's not so glamorous and i've learned to use that as a weapon instead of like i used to do and a lot of people is sweeping underneath the rug now i, I i've owned it and it took me a while it took a lot of a lot of tears 
but I've owned those different failures I've had in my life. And so now sharing it, um, you know, whether it's over a podcast, over my speak, you know, my speeches or my soon to be book, you know, you get to own the, uh, the narrative. And it sounds like that's what's, you know, that's how, what's happening um, for you. Yeah, it, that definitely happened. And, you know, I was talking to somebody today, a writer, and we were going over it, somebody I know and I've trusted for many years. And, you know, he wanted to know if it was therapeutic. And I said, absolutely. I said, this book wasn't to dog this person out or dog this person out. I told my story, but when it came down to stuff that significant things within my life that kind of ruined my marriages, uh, you know, I made sure that it was me. I, I, I can only talk about my side of the street and being able to do that, you know, during, during this whole process, I realized because Rick, the one that brought it up to me, he's like, you know what, this is therapeutic to you, whether you believe it or not, because you don't know how much stuff you, how much guilt you've had bound up in your system over Gina, over Allison, uh, things that you've done, things that you think that you shouldn't be forgiven for when we all make mistakes. And there's probably going to be about a hundred people out there that say, man, he went through that too. I went through it. Wow. You know, and you're going to be helping people. And I wanted, like you said, to control the narrative because for years it was like, all these good things were written and said about me and I would be in the streets of Portland and people, oh, you know, thank you this and that. And I appreciated it. I greatly appreciated it. Walking with my mom downtown one time and that happened. I said, thank you. And then as they walked off and we walked off, I was kind of like, she goes, how come, how come you just sighed? And I go, because these people really don't know me. And she goes, I'm sure they know you, Brian. I go, mom, they know a part of me, but they don't know all of me. And at any time, if there was a reporter that really wanted to just hardcore dig up stuff, he yeah. could have. And then it would have been out of my control. Now he's controlling, you know. And so being able to have the control to put those types of things out there, I'm putting them out there and saying, this is me. You know, you've liked this person for this amount of years, but I want you to know all of me and then, then make your decision on how you feel. Yeah. 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 That's something. That's something. What, what lessons can you think people will be able to get, you know, from, from reading the book, like something they can be able to take from, from your life and like, man, if there are there any tools in there that can, that can help people. Um, you never know who, you're around or who you're talking with. You know, I I judged Mr. Mart as probably a racist teacher, not because he did racist things to me, but because I had to be in his classroom when we talked about the Civil War times. And there's 20 people in there. I'm the only black person in there. And we're reading paragraph to paragraph. So I go down and say, oh, no, I got to read and say the N word in this class. I'm not reading, you know being yeah. the only you know black kid in the class. And so I don't know, he just was old school. So I thought must be racist, but this is a man that if he doesn't, you know, take pity on me and give me an opportunity to, to show that I knew the work, I just was cramming, I don't end up here, man. So never judge a book by its cover and be careful 
of what you say or do or how you act around certain people because that may be the person that opens the next door of opportunity for you. Mm. Yeah. So it's certain things. So what I'm hearing is, man, character matters. Yeah. Yeah, the type of character that you want to that you want to portray. It doesn't matter. It's, it's not just, you know, in front of certain people. It's like, damn, how about being a good person? That's what it sounds yeah. like. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, and you may fail. I've failed a lot. You know, I've had my ups and downs and my failures, but you don't have to stay down. You don't, you you can wallow in it and say, woe is me, or you can look at your part in it and then pick yourself back up and keep moving, you know, Mm -hmm. and hopefully the people that you can make amends to or apologize to, you do that and then you keep moving. Love that. Brian, man, hey, tell, tell us a little bit about your foundation, man. The Brian Grant Foundation, um, at our foundation, we try to get people with Parkinson's to be more proactive with their care, meaning through exercise and nutrition. We we put a lot of information out that has been actually proven at OHSU through, I forget what they call it, uh, when, they put, when they put literature out and it's been proven, it's review, reviews or something like that. We use okay. that to base our exercise programs off of that. And then also with nutrition, we anything that we put in there will be great for anybody, but it's even better for Parkinson's patients because there's certain things in the body that aren't being produced as much, especially with uh, the dopamine cells being 80% gone. Mm-hmm. And so we try to get people to be proactive because most of the time you have a neurologist and you see them, but you don't get to see them for three to six months. And there's a whole lot of things that can change in that amount of time. Some people go to the doctor, come home, sit on the couch. That's Parkinson's waiting to get that person. Because, I mean, you got to keep moving to stay fluid, keep moving. And you don't have to go run a marathon, but just walk up the street. Shoot, I'll be walking up this hill. <laughs> I see it all the time. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I'll be over Rosemont. My, my footprints are in that track. Um, but, uh, we just try to encourage people to keep moving and to reach out to other Parkinson's patients because between us, the most information that I get about my disease and my disorder is from other patients who have gone through things and taken medications, even though everyone's brain chemistry is different. So what I take may make you sick. What you take Mm -hmm. may make me fall asleep. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Gotcha. Man, this has been this has been phenomenal. You know our conversation. How can um how can people get a hold of, of Brian Grant? How can they get? Are you on social media? You got a website? I am. Yeah, I'm on uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Uh, if you want to get a hold of someone at the foundation, you can go to BrianGrant.org. We actually have a uh, our our gala virtual gala that we're having this year is on May twelfth. And you can sign up for it at BrianGrant.org, and it'll be about an hour, hour and ten minutes when we go over our programs. We talk a little bit about the book. We have guest speaker that's sending in uh, speeches from uh, Pat Burke, who I played with in Phoenix. And then Raphael Sadiq is supposed to be writing a song for the foundation, oh, and wow. we're going to release that 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 night, and all proceeds from the 
the song go to the foundation. So it's it's gonna be an interesting night and we hope people show up. We'd love to have you there. That's great. Virtually, man. virtually. Yeah, virtually. <laughs> yeah. Man, well, Brian, this is, like I said, man, this has been phenomenal. Um, I know this is going to help a lot of people. And just hearing your voice, man, you're such a positive cat. Um, I'm, I'm very uh, honored to have you on as a guest on the Shark Effect, my man. Hey, I'm glad to be on here. And I just want to tell you, you know, from the time that I moved back to Portland, and moved to Westland and I met you, you were one of the most stand-up individuals I've met in the city. And I appreciate you for what you do for the kids around here. And I really appreciate you for what you're doing for people like myself who are suffering from things. And I just wanna say thank you, man. Anytime you need me, I'm here. My man, my man. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Shark Effect Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at thesharkeffect.com. Thanks for listening. It's here, finally. My book, The Ultimate Playbook for High Achievement. You can get it on Amazon in the uh, paper paperback version or you can get it on kindle and who this book is an in, intentionally created for is for those who are looking to, to transition what, whether you was an athlete or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever if you're looking to transition into something different this book can help you I break it down, I lay down the foundation of who you want to be. I have a chapter in there that breaks down and boils down leadership, which is influence. And you gotta understand these 10 influencers that can help you with decision-making, that can help you with influencing others. And how are you influenced? I have chapters in there that really breaks down my system of assignment, alignment, and adjustment. Recognizing the power of your environments is a chapter. Developing your own procedures, creating relationship roadmaps, using adversity to your advantage, right? Because we all go through tough times, but how do you flip it? How do you use it to power you, okay? And then developing your own standards. So these are things that can help anybody, not just, not just athletes. Now, there's some stories in there you know, that covers topics that that resonate with athletes. But I think overall, this book can help um, anyone who is looking to transition into becoming successful in something new, something different. Okay, so make sure check it out. Amazon, the ultimate playbook for high achievement.